Okie dokie, artichoke, it's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon and with the ad coming up soon i know y'all might want to skip it but you should at least try to listen to some of it maybe it's important i hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast and i hope the ad and sponsor is a good one artichokey okay dokey artichokey ad break it's now Welcome back. It's me, the Susan Anime, and you are listening to Slop Under the Sea with me. And we will be talking about movies, TV shows, books, fun holidays, everything from other countries to does this still hold up to this day? From, like, rub brats to, like, as told by Ginger, to Movie Monday, to True Creepy Things Tuesday, to whatever I feel like talking about, because this is my podcast. And I hope you all will stay and listen to me and have some good old-fashioned podcast fun. And we'll try to stay as calm as we can. But let's get into it, and let's all have some fun listening. And you can also see me sometimes on YouTube doing my podcast as well. Okay, here we go. Those who get permission. 
I just want to say that true crime cases are something that I've been reading about. And I want to say that I don't mean any harm or disrespect or anything. And sometimes the cases can be really, really scary. But I try to do true crime and creepy things Tuesday. So this recording might be up twice. And I just want to say I don't mean any harm, disrespect, or any hurtfulness. I'm just giving you the facts of the cases and letting everyone know that this is what I found. This is a case people have been talking about. This is a case that people are thinking about. I have looked into a lot of cases and I don't want to just, I don't want anyone to feel disrespected. If I say their name wrong, you can try to correct me. I might try to be able to pronounce it right. I might not be able to my learning problem but I just want to say that I don't mean any disrespect to anyone ever and I hope that you all understand that I'm just giving you the facts and sometimes I may or may not give you my opinion or I could just tell you like hey this is my opinion based on what they are saying like not even a I know this personally but like more of a like a this is what people are leaning towards and do I agree or disagree but a lot of the time I don't really know so I'm gonna say like this could be my opinion but I really don't know them personally or know the case personally so it really is like a, this is what has been said so this is what the opinion of other people have been and I hope y'all understand that I don't mean any disrespect harm and I do not suggest you do any of this stuff that people have done and I hope that this stuff doesn't continue to happen and I hope y'all enjoy the cases and I hope y'all learn from them more importantly and I hope you all understand better that hey this is what happens let's be careful let's learn from this let's learn from this let's try to get a new law in let's try to do this let's try to keep it from happening again okay so for today I'm doing yesterday's because I'm feeling a little better, but not by much. Chicago Tylenol murders. <clears throat> the Chicago Tylenol murders were a series of poisoning deaths resulting from drug tampering in Chicago area in 1982. The victim had all taken Tylenol capsules that had been laced with cyanide. A total of seven people died in the original poisoning, with several more deaths in suspects copycat crimes. To date, no suspects has ever been charged or convicted of the poisoning. New York resident James Will William Lewis was convicted of extortion for sending a letter to Tylenol manufacturer. Johnson & Johnson that took responsibility for the deaths and damages one willing to stop them, but evidence trying Lewis to the actual poisoning never emerged. The incident led to reforms in the packaging of over-the-counter substance and to federal anti-tampering laws. The action of Johnson & Johnson to reduce deaths and warn the public of poisoning risk have been widely praised as an example of public relation response to such a crisis. So they actually, from what I've read and heard, 
they literally decided the minute that this was happening to get everything off the shelves. They didn't care about the money. They didn't care that they would lose stuff. They were like, let's get this under control, fix this, and let's find a new way where they can't tamper with it. That's why, like, when you open new things, there's a... I always wondered why, because I grew up with them. I never not thought that this was a thing. You open a jar of, like, not Yeah, I guess it's a jar. It's a, like, ketchup. You open ketchup, you have to open the lid to pull off the tap. Medicine. Like a Tylenol. You open the lid, you pull off the tab, and maybe a cotton ball. So it's in food. It's in medicine. It's in packaging now. And I don't know if this is what started that, but thank you. Because that means that, like, we know it's safe. It's hard for people to tamper with. On September 29th, 1982, Mary Kellman of Elk Grove Village, Illinois, died after taking a capsule of extra-strength Tylenol. Adam Jonas, 27, uh... Arvington Heights died in the hospital later that day after ingesting Tylenol. His brother Stanley, Stanley, 25, and sister-in-law Teresa, 19, Lisa, Lisa, later also died after taking Tylenol from the same bottle. Within the next few days, Mary Franklin, 31, Paula Prince, 35, of Chicago, and Mary, 27, of Winfield, all died in similar incidents. Once it was realized that all these people had recently taken Tylenol, tests were quickly carried out, which soon revealed cyanide present in the capsule. Warning were the issues via media. The patrols using loudspeakers warning residents through the Chicago area to discontinue use the use of Tylenol products. The tainted capsules were found to have been manufactured at two different locations, Pennsylvania and Texas, suggesting that the capsules were tampered with after the product had been placed on store shelves for sale. The police hypothesized was that someone had taken bottles off shelves in local stores of the Chicago area, placed cyanide, I can't pronounce this other word, potassium cyanide, in some of the capsules, and then placed the packaging back on the store shelves to be purchased by unknowing customers in addition to five bottles that led to the victim deaths, a few other Contaminated bottles were left later discovered in the Chicago area. In an effort to reassure the public, Johnson & Johnson, the manufacturer of Tylenol, <clears throat> described the hospital and disturbance and halted Tylenol products at a after others indicated, like, Sternin added to Tylenol bottles in California and national-wide recall of Tylenol products were issued on October 
October 5th, 1982, an estimate of 31 million bottles were in circulation with a relative value of over US 1 million. The company also advised in the national media for individuals not to consume any of its products that contain a saffron after it was determined that the only these capsules have been tampered with. <clears throat> Johnson Johnson also offered to exchange all Tylenol capsules already purchased by the public for sold tablets. Investigation suspects. During the investi initial investigation, a man named James William Lewis was accused of sending a letter to Johnson Johnson demanding one million to stop the cyanide incident murders. Lewis was arrested, tried, and convicted of extortion and sentenced to 10 years in prison. During the trial, Anatomy for Lewis claimed he intended only to focus the attention of the authorities on his wife's former employee. WCVB Channel 5 of Boston reported that the court documents released in early 2009 showed Department of Justice investigation concluded Lewis was responsible for the poisoning, despite the fact that they did not have enough evidence to charge him. In January 2010, both Lewis and his wife submitted DNA samples and fingerprints to authorities. Lewis said, if the FBI plays it fair, I have nothing to worry about. Lewis continued to deny all responsibility for the poisoning. A second man, Roger Arnold, was identified, investigated, and cleared of the killing. He had a nervous breakdown due to the media attention, which he blamed on Murray Sinclair, a bar owner. In the summer of 1983, Arnold shot and killed John Stashen, an unrelated man whom he mistook for Sinclair and who did not know Arnold. Arnold was convicted in January 1984 and served 15 years of a 30-year sentence for first-degree murder. He died in June 2008. Lauren Dan, who poisoned and shot numerous of people in May 1988, rampage in and around Illinois, was briefly considered a suspect, not but not direct con connection was found. Ongoing investigation. In early 1983, at the FBI's request, Chicago Columbia Columbus Bob Greeny published the address and gave locations of the first and youngest victim. Mary Coleman, the story written with the Coleman family consent, was posted by FBI criminal analyst John Douglas on the theory that the perpetrator might visit the house or grave site if he or she were made aware of their location. Both sites were kept under 24 hours video surveillance for several months, but the killer did not surface. A surveillance photo of Paul Pr 
French purchasing cyanide tampered Tylenol at a Walgreens at 601 Northwest Street was released by the Chicago Police Department. Police believe that a barred man seen just behind Prince may be the killer. In early January 2009, Illinois authorities renewed the investigation. Federal agents searched the home of Lewis in Chambridge, Massachusetts, and seized a number of items in Chicago. An FBI spokesman decided to comment that said, we'll have something to release later, possibly. Law enforcement officials have received a number of tips related to the case, considering with its anniversary in a written statement the FBI explained. The review was prompted in part by the recent 25th anniversary of the crime and the resulting public further gave the many recent advances in forensic technology and was only natural at a second look been taken at the case and received evidence on May 20 on May 19th 2011 oh boy the FBI requested DNA samples from the bomber Ted in the connection to the Tylenol murders, Ted denied having ever possessed cyanide. The first four Unabomber crimes happened in Chicago and its suburbs from 1974 to 1980 and Ted's parents had a a suburban Chicago home in Illinois in 1982, where he stayed occasionally. Okie dokie, artichoke, it's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and Keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast. Please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon. And with the ad coming up soon, I know y'all might want to skip it, but you should at least try to listen to some of it. Maybe it's important. I hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast. And I hope the ad and sponsor is a good one, Artichokey. Okay, dokie, Artichokey. Ad break is now. Copycat. Hundreds of copycat attacks involving Tylenol and other over-the-counter medication and other products also took place around the United States following the Chicago deaths. Three more deaths occurred in 1986 
from tampering capsules. A woman died in Yonk Yonkers, New York after ingesting extra strength Tylenol capsule laced with cyanide. Um, extended capsules in Washington State was tampered with the zombie in the dust of seasoned snow and Bruce Nickel from cyanide poisoning and eventually rested and convicted of Bruce Nickel's blood. Stella Nickel, for her initial action in the crime connected with both murders. That same year, Procter and Gamble's was recalled after a spiky hoax in Chicago and Detroit that resulted in a pres prescription sales drop with withdrawal of the pain reliever from the market. In 1986, a University of Texas student, Kenneth Ferris, was found dead in his apartment after succumbing to cyanide poison. Tampered acid capsules were determined to be the source of cyanide found in his body. His death was ruled as a homicide on May 30, 1986. On June 19, 1986, the AP reported that Travis County Medical Examiner ruled his death a likely suicide. The FDA department, he obtained the poison from a lab in which he worked. Johnson Johnson responds. Johnson Johnson received positive coverage for its heading handling of the crisis. For example, an article the Washington Post said Johnson & Johnson have effectively demonstrated how a major business ought to handle a disaster. The article further stated that this is no Three Mill Island accident in which the company response did more damage than the original incident and I poll the company for being honest with the public. In addition to issuing the recall, the company established relocation with the Chicago Police Department, the FBI, and Food and Drug Admission. This way, it could have a part in searching for the person who released the capsules, and they could help prevent further tampering. While at the time of the scare, the company market share capsules from 35% to 8%. It rebounded in less than a year. A new credit to the company promoted an aggressive reaction. In November, it reintroduced capsules in a new triple sealed package, complete with heavy price promotion for several years. Tylenol had regained the highest market share from for the over-the-counter in the U.S. After we called Johnson Johnson directly, McNeil submitted a claim to the insurance company. FM insurance for the cost of carrying out the recall, a claim that which was later denied. A lawsuit determined that McNeil was ultimately not covered because the parent 
company Johnson Johnson elected not to buy more expensive recall insurance. McNeil sued again in court, further attending the language of its excess insurance police covered the recall and recall-related experience. The court hearing that case rejected a claim of liability, stating that the recall was not caused by Libertal for several deaths. It was at best morally related to the seven deaths in that they served as notice to the plain victims. That the title nor remaining on the shelves was potentially harmful. In 1991, Johnson Johnson agreed to settle for an undisclosed sum all lawsuits against it for the original Chicago area deaths. Robert, the spokesman for Johnson Johnson, stated that though there is no way we could have anti-package a criminal attempting with more product or prevent it, we wanted to do something for the families and finally get this tragic event behind us. The 1982 incident inspired the Food and Customer Profit Instruction to develop tamper-resistant packaging, such as indication seals and improved quality control method. Moreover, products tampering was made a federal crime. The new role resulted in Stella Nichols' conviction and the extended tampering case for which she was sentenced to 90 years in prison. According to according the incident promote industry to move away from capsules, which were easy to contaminate as a ferment, foreign substance could be placed inside without obvious signs of tampering. Within the year, the FDA introduced more strain relation to avoid product tampering. This led to eventual replacement of the capsules with the solid capital lit, the tablet in the shape of a capsule as a drug delivered from and with the addition of tamper evidence safety seals to bottles of many shorts. 1982 Halloween, while poison candy be given to trick-or-treaters, Halloween vandalism rare, the Tylenol incident which unfolded across October 1982, re raised renewed fears of it. Some communities discarded trick-or-treats for Halloween and American grocery stores reported that candy sales were down more than 20%. Let's see if we can find any more information about these. Okay, I will be back with you later and we'll talk more about this. Okay, let's see what else we can find on the terrible murder facts. On September 29, 1982, 12-year-old Mary Killerman, Killerman 
of Chicago, Illinois, suddenly I'm sorry. Te technical difficulties? Technical, I guess I'm not really sure what to call this. Um. No, no. Okay. I'm. Please stop. Stop, stop. Deputy, stop. It looks like this is the same information. Okay. Is there any other information you need to know? Oh. I can't find anything. So I guess we'll go into a little facts of today. I went to the mall. Went to Claire's and Hot Topic. I got a few things at Claire's for Jade and then I saw like they had shiny necklaces and kind of cute but normal headbands and I don't have that many normal headbands I mean I just bought a kitty cat headband so I don't own many normal headbands so I was like ooh normal headbands yes please I mean I own cat ears dog ears crazy hat headbands all sorts of crazy stuff I'm not really sure what else to talk about, and I wanted to make my videos 40 minutes long, and I'm not very, doing very good at it. I really want to. Um, is it too late to solve the famous cold case? Let's see. Before she takes any type of medication, Monica, Monica, Monica. Jonas makes the sign of the cross, and she never takes Tylenol. That's because 36 years ago, three murders of Monica's family died suddenly after taking Tylenol capsules, which, unbeknownst to them and the rest of the world at the time, had been filled with poison. Quote, I remember running to my mom saying, please don't die, and we kneeled by the bed, and we're praying and asking God to help our family. It was so scary. Monica, who was 10 years old at the time, tells A.N.E. True Crime, I'm still scared. Someone had put cyanide inside tiny little capsules, put them back in the bottles, and randomly placed them on store shelves across the Chicago area. Seven people, including a 12-year-old girl, unsuspected took the pills and died. The crime would forever change America. It gripped the nation in fear and led to changes that are part of life today. It's why there are temper-proof seals on every medication bottle and food product, sometimes in multiple layers. It made easy to open medicine capsules absolutely replaced by unbreakable cap caplets. Okay, so the other day I was getting mad at the ketchup. I'm like, why does this have a seal? This is so annoying. And now I'm thankful that it has a seal. Thank you for putting the seal on that stuff. Now I know why. 
See, growing up, it's funny because I was telling my stepdad, with what's going on, we have, like, Alexa could turn your lights on and off, and so can Google. Like, they're not going to be able to turn on a light switch anymore, and they're not going to know what a light switch is. And these are going to be, like, things that, like, I remember turning on a light switch. I remember... Back when CD players were a thing, I am so from the 2000s. I was born in the 90s, grew up in the 2000s. I had CD players and iPods. But it's funny because I'm like, if they had no electricity, they would not know what to do if electricity went out. I, on the other hand, know what to do as much as I could board. And where I live, like in the basement, there's not many lights. But you could try to stay, like, outside that's not too cold, three, but, or do, like, if it's nice out. If it's hot out or cold out, it, it becomes a so-so thing. But it's funny, because my generation, I don't think, realizes how lucky we are to have these seals. Because we just find them annoying. And then when we read that this is why, we're like, never mind, thank you. I appreciate that you made these seals. The crime even impacted Halloween. Ever since the town of poisoning, parents have been urged to examine their kids' trick-or-treat candy for any suspicious. We do that. My parents used to do that. I have my grandparents so messed up that Chuck Chance candy because I can't eat it. It all began on September 29th, 1982 when Serpin Chicago 7th grader Mary took Tylenol for a sore throat and caps, collapsed up to the floor. She died immediately and impactly. Hours later, in a neighborhood suburb, three healthy young members of the same family, Adams, Danley, and Teresa, died the same day way. So did Chicago flight attendant Paula Prince, suburb mom Mary, who had just come home from the hospital after giving birth to her fourth child, and Bell Phone Center employee Mary McFarland. Officials quickly found the common denominator to these strange sudden deaths. They had all just taken time once the pills were identified as the culprit and it was discovered that they were all laced with cyanide. Extreme measures were taken to prevent people from taking Tylenol. Because it was the pre-inserted era, suburb in Chicago police drove along resident streets with a blowhorn. Don't take Tylenol. Don't take out. Okay, I forgot. I saw the source there. And more than 140 police and FBI in Investigators hunted for the killer. Tylenol's parents' partner company, Johnson Johnson, did some unprecedented at the time. It held issue warnings and immediately recalled all 31 million bottles of its product off store shelves nationwide. It cost the company an estimate over a million, $1 million. The mass's product recall refrigerator to as the recall that started them all to be held as an example of good corporation sedition sick 
yet the killer was never found. There hasn't been much news with the investigation, at least publicly. More than a decade, many, many witnesses and suspects are in their 70s now or have passed away. Detectives who worked on the case have retired. Is time running out to solve this crime? Could someone get away with a mass murder? Police remain tight-lipped about the case. There's always been long, been all along, a small task force of police from around the Chicago area still working on the complex cold case, but refuses to discuss their meeting forensics or latest work. Ellerton Heights, Illinois police Scott, a long task force member, would only say that the investigation remains active and that he believes the case is still solvable. After all, his department just cracked a 45-year-old case that led to the July 2018 first-degree murder conviction of Donnie Rob, 76, in the death of his teenage wife. In 1970, on September 13, 2018, Rob was sentenced to 75 to 150 years in prison. The Tama case is still open, and we continue to hold out hope that we will make an arrest and bring justice for the victims and their families. Well, the funny thing is, people who were born after this do not have anything to do with it, unless they have a relative who did something. So people who were born, like, after this, you don't have anything to do with it. But we would hope you could solve it as best as you can. It would be great. Okay. Surviving family members hope that day comes as well. Monica, niece of victim Adam, Stanley and Teresa says her family still struggles with the fact that the person who committed this crime was never caught. Her grandparents, who have since passed away, never got their got over their loss. Literally throughout their whole life, all they did was cry every day because they never knew what who did it. She says, Grandma always wanted answers and there were no answers. Monica grew up fearing her family members could die suddenly. She still has a vivid memory of relatives hysterically weeping over the casket at the funeral, which was crawling with FBI agents and media. But she's now ready to forgive the culprit who did this, saying it's time, sometime. She even thinks it might have all happened for a reason. Maybe there does save people all over the planet by putting safety seals on everything, she says. I will say this, you are right and thank you. Thank you to your family members who passed because without those seals, a lot of us could have ended up like them. So thanks to your family and those who are in this case, helped save a lot more people than you would realize. I know it's not fair, but at least you could look on it like that. Joseph, Monica's father, who lost two of his brothers to the poisoning, says he is still traumatized from seeing his brother, Stanley, grab his chest and fall to the floor. 
foam oozed from his mouth and his eyes rolled to the back of his head. That will never go away. I still see that all the time in my mind. His brother murders, challenged his faith in God, and sent him into a deep depression. Jophus says he tried to move on, but still misses his brother and dreams about them often. In one recent dream, everyone involved in the title case was in a room. The two men in black suits and glasses are laughing about how they got away with murder. I don't think they're ever going to find out who did it. Unless somebody spills, Joseph says. It's never too late. Possible suspect. Joseph believes that the killer was someone who wanted to bring down America with some type of terrorist attack. Not unlike the anthrax scare that happened years later, following 9-11, police examined the possibility, plus dozens of other possible motives from the psychological rage to the fictional. However, many investigators who have worked on the case have their eyes on a man. All along, James W. Lewis. Lewis, who now lives in Chamber, Massachusetts, was convicted of trying to extort money. We already talked about him. Okay, Michelle Rosen's daughter of the victim, Mary, doubts Lewis is responsible. Rosen has dedicated years of her life to her own in-depth investigation of the crime. She disagrees with the police. Long madman theory concludes for her research that the temporary tampering occurred sometime after manufacturing, but before the product was stocked on the shelves. Rosen was attempted unsuccessful to get police to unseal and make public some of the investigation documents. She believed it isn't too late to solve the crime. I will never stop investigating until there are actual answers, she says. Time will never run out so long as there are willing bodies to explore beyond this dead end. She believes if the case is looked at from a different angle, there's potential to solve it. This old dusty avenue has returned no evidence or answers, she says. As of 2009, Johnson & Johnson was offering a $1,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction. Company officials did not respond to requests about whether the reward money is still being offered, but if so, perhaps it will be enough of an insight for someone to come forward and help the police solve the case. It would be nice if, like, someone could help this poor people out. And it's like, who did this? Why they do it? I hope you all find this case interesting. No harm in the making of this case or any other case. I hope you all enjoy and learn something. Okie dokie, artichoke, it's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today and the sponsor and ad will be 
right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast. Please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon. And with the ad coming up soon, I know y'all might want to skip it, but you should at least try to listen to some of it. Maybe it's important. I hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast. And I hope the ad and sponsor is a good one, Artichokey. Okay, dokey, Artichokey. Ad break is now. I hope y'all like. You can check me out on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. I also have another podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed this podcast. Bye for now. Over and out.